Well, I'm excited for this morning. I'm always excited for Sunday morning, but I'm especially excited for this morning. The message today is one that has been percolating in my heart uh, for some months now. In fact, back in November, when I shared our focus for 2016, the theme shout, for God has given you this city. And, and I remember even the day that the Lord gave me that word for our church, um, I, I, was, I felt like I was going to explode. And, uh, and then as I started reading in the book of Joshua and the, and the victory that was won at Jericho and what took place there, um, it, was, it was amazing to see how God moved on behalf of his people. And then I started thinking about us and what God is doing here. Excuse me, just real quick. Hey, Jacques, I've got a ringing in one of the monitors. Thank you. Um, the things that God is going to do in our community and in this community, in this new community, in this church family. And I just started getting more and more pumped up and fired up uh, about the direction that God is taking us. And so for me this morning, is, as we look at Shout, God has given you this city. Um, I believe that this morning's message will be a marker point for us in our journey as a church. Um, I know it has been already for my family and for my marriage and for our home, um, and I believe it will be the same. So my, my invitation to you this morning is open your heart to receive from the word of the Lord. Um, I'm going to cover quite a few passages. In fact, there's probably more scripture than there is preaching this morning because I want the word of God to be the thing that lays a foundation for, the, for us this morning as we move forward. With that said, you wanna, you'll want to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua and as well to 2 Corinthians. I, I usually try not to do more, more than two places for you to turn, but I'm going to give you one more. So Joshua, 2 Corinthians, and the book of Luke. If you have the little tassel, you can put it in uh, one of those verses. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians and Luke, and then we'll finish up in Joshua. Starting in 2 Corinthians, and then moving to Luke, and then to Joshua. So three weeks ago, we started this series called Shout. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of shouting probably actually happening right now. There's a lot of shouting taking place this weekend as people watching NFL playoff games. And uh, a lot of shouting at the TV. There's a lot of shouting and excitement and celebration. There's probably going to be some shouting in uh, defeat and pain and, and loss. But we shout for all kinds of different reasons, right? Right? Yeah. Right. Um, we shout for all kinds of different reasons. We shout when we're excited. When things just, you just can't contain your excitement, you shout. I got to see the Star Wars movie on the night, on the premiere night, on that Thursday night, and people were, all throughout the movie, people are shouting. And ordinarily, that's, an, that's a taboo. You don't do that, right? You don't talk during a movie. You don't, you, you just watch the movie. At least, that, I'm like, just watch the movie. But that night, it was perfectly acceptable because there were parts of that movie where you're like, I just, oh my gosh, and people are shouting. They were shouting during the previews. We were so excited for this movie. We shout when we try to warn someone. If a kid is running into the street, we'll shout, stop. Don't run into the street. We'll shout a warning. We'll shout praise. This morning, we got to shout praise to the Lord. We got to lift him high. It's awesome. I love sitting on the front row here and just hearing the shouts of praise coming forward. And all throughout scripture, we see shouts of praise. We shout in anger. 
Not always a good thing, but also not always a bad thing. That there's appropriate places where we need a fire in us and it needs to come out in a holy way. In fact, Jesus says, in your anger, do not sin. Which means there's a place where you can process anger in a way that's healthy and beneficial for you and for the kingdom. Deb brought a powerful message last week. We were, Megan and I were in Nevada at, a, at the installation of a, a couple that we know being installed as senior pastors. And uh, we had made a commitment to them, said, on that Sunday, we will be there. And uh, we were so thankful. It actually marked the one-year anniversary of us being installed here at New Community. And it was a great time of reminder for me and Megan um, as to what God's called us to here at our church. And so we missed you, but it's good to be home. But I knew, I was confident, I asked Deb if she would bring the word. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but Pastor Deb, over the last few times she's been up front, whether during the Advent or praying over the kids, she's, she's got a fire in her. And I was like, we need to let that out a little bit more. And, uh, and so I asked her, I said, would you come and bring the word that morning? And I could see in her eyes like the, ah. Oh, yeah, and I knew I, there was not even a bit of me that was concerned or worried. I knew that she was going to teach the word faithfully and with power and conviction. And then I got to listen to the message, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and it was good. And I, I know we were blessed by that, so thankful for her ministry. She ended up, ended that message with us praying over our next generation, our youth and our J-12 kids in this room and, and our, tw- uh, our college students. Um, You know, the Israelites entered the promised land, and it was the next generation. The generation that came out of Egypt didn't get to to inhabit and walk into the promised land. It was the next generation. And, uh, And her final point last week was pass it on. That what we are establishing isn't just for us. It is for generations to come. That we are doing something both in the physical and in the spiritual that will leave a legacy that will be a blessing to people we'll never even meet. And so I was so thankful for what she shared and just the, the, the boldness of that message. Well, I want to pick up with that. It's almost like a, a, a relay race. I'm grabbing that baton and we're going to keep moving in that direction. This morning, I want to, I want to speak about shouting over your home. Shouting over your home. Now, I know your mind, some of you might be thinking, well, there's probably more shouting in my home than over my home. And, uh, and, and let's just be real. That's quite often the case. Now, Megan and I have a perfect marriage, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we, uh, we were even reminiscing with some friends last night. You know, we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary at the end of this year. And, and, and I got to tell you, there's been a lot of painful years. It's been a lot of hard roads. And there's probably been more shouting in the home and at each other than there has been over our home. And, and while that's a funny distinction, it's an important distinction. Because I believe the, the goal of the enemy is to cause us to be at odds with each other, not work in cooperation with each other. And so if we're shouting at each other, we're not declaring the things of the Lord over our home. And we get... We're disabled. We'd get debilitated in our ability to stand for his kingdom. And so I want us to orient ourselves before we get to Joshua. I want us to orient our spiritual eyes, our spiritual perspective as we 
grapple with this message this morning, and that's why we're going to start in 2 Corinthians. What is it that God's calling us to as a church body, as families, as husbands, as wives, as children, as single people, as every demographic you can imagine, that God hasn't left you out, that you're included in this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4, you can follow on the screen um, as I read uh, or in your own Bible. For though we walk in the flesh, Paul writes, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. They have divine, the weapons of your warfare, personalize it. The weapons of your warfare, insert your name there. The weapons of Barry's warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. The problem is we have a default setting, and our default setting is called the flesh. It's it's just what we go to. It's It's what we know. It's what we're most comfortable with, but it's not where our power lies. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Jesus says it this way in Luke chapter 10. Starting verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Let me pause there for a second. The 72 were the disciples. There were 12, kind of the core group. There was this 12 in the leadership team, but then there was 72 disciples, followers of Christ that Jesus was teaching and imparting wisdom and understanding and knowledge to. And then he sent them out in authority to go and minister And when they return, this is the report they bring. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They come back and they're just giddy. Oh, we went out and we, you, we've watched you do what you do. And it's awesome. And we went out and in your name, demons were subject to us and that was so cool. And Jesus goes, that's great. But don't let it go to your head. That even ministry and authority and using those weapons can become a a snare. Don't let it go to your head. Rather this, remember your eternal perspective. Your names are written in that book that you will spend eternity with me and this is a season here on heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But nonetheless, there is a power. There is a power in the name of Jesus and I want to I start this morning by saying, if you already have thought this morning, well, that's for others and not for me, stop. Stop. Because everything else I have to share this morning that I believe that the Lord's put on my heart will not take, it will not find uh, the right soil in your heart if you out the gate believe that you are disqualified from this. 
There's no distinction. Jesus says, if you're my follower, if you acknowledge me as Lord, then you have full access to the authority and to the power and to the weapons of the warfare that will destroy strongholds. And can I tell you, our world is full of strongholds. What's a stronghold? What's this? A stronghold is a base of operation. We've been watching and following on the news the the war against ISIS. And the way that the, the coalition forces are targeting ISIS is they're finding where the strongholds are. There was a video that came out uh, in the news this last week where they, they bombed a building that was storing cash, just cash. And, and they showed the video footage when that, when that bomb hit that there were just literally millions of dollars in, in coin and, and, and in paper that just went up in flames. And you could see the bits of paper flying all over the place. The military identified a stronghold, a base of operation, and they went after that. Because if you can destroy the strongholds, you limit the enemy's ability to wage war. Satan sets up strongholds. But strongholds are not where he starts. That's where he ends up. The Bible says that we, may, we need to walk circumspectly, aware, so that we don't give the enemy room, that we don't give him a foothold. Now, foothold is different. See, a rock climber will climb a rock face that I'll look at and go, that is as smooth as that wall right there. But they will find these little nooks and crannies, and they work on their finger strength and their toe grip, and they have the little pouch thing with the powder, and they will climb something that doesn't look climbable. But because of footholds, little footholds, they will scale that wall and get to where they need to be. Make no mistake that the enemy will take every advantage of the footholds we give him. And I heard a pastor say this once, and it stuck with me. Footholds become strongholds. And strongholds become chokeholds. And the life is slowly choked out of us. And so when Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy, when he says, I've given you the authority to demolish strongholds, we need to take note because that's huge. That in our city, that in our state, in our neighborhood, in our homes, that there's places when the enemy is going, I'm looking to set up a base of operation. And if we let him, he will. And so we have to take a stand and say, no, not here, not here. You have been given the authority and you have the power. So let's take a look at Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 through 5. We're going to set, set our perspective. We're going to get the, the intro to the story. We know already that that. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. The promised land lays right in front of them. They've now crossed the Jordan River with the ark going before. Two weeks ago, I preached about preparing yourself to go into the promised land. There was preparation that needed to happen in their lives and in the camp for them to be ready to possess the land. But now they're in the land. They've crossed the river and they've established a memorial to the Lord. First thing they did when they got into the promised land was praise God. They worshiped him, and then they consecrated themselves to him. Now we find them looking at this massive city called Jericho, starting in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up 
inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho, given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the trumpet's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Weird way to fight a battle. Just a weird way. Israel had experienced some victory in the desert. They had fought some battles, but nothing like this. Jericho was massive. The walls to this city were so big, it's said that they could have chariot races along the tops of the walls. Homes, like that of Rahab the prostitute, were built into the city wall. And they're standing looking at this city and going, how will we do this? And God says, here's what you're going to do. And he gives Joshua these crazy instructions. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. See, God was on their side, and he gave them some really weird instructions on how to win this battle, but it didn't preclude them, or didn't exclude them, rather, from being a part of the fight. See, God wants to lead us into battle, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to fight ourselves. We just have to follow his lead, and sometimes his lead will look different to what we think it should, should be. God, I want you to do this in my life. And he starts doing it, and you're like, not that way. Not that way, God. I had something very different in mind. And God goes, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Let's continue reading in chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15, and we're going to camp out here for a little while. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner but this time for seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, uh, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. We're going to stop there. It goes on. We know the story. The they march, they blow the trumpets, the walls come down, and the people go in. But it's this passage here that I believe is so key for us to understand. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that the things that I declare out loud with my mouth when aligned with Scripture and the heart of God will come to pass. I believe that with all my heart. 
And I grew up in a Christian home, and I've learned to pray, and I've, I went to Bible college, and I learned how to pray even more, and, 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 and I've been to prayer meetings, and I've been to conferences. But I want to tell you something. Very often, the prayers that I pray and the way that I live do not align. The prayers that I pray and the way that I live do not align. And God gives some instruction here to the children of Israel to that, uh, to, that addresses that, to that end. These verses, the things that he says here, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, they take, uh, and you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring t- trouble upon it. God says to the children of Israel, and by the way, can I just get this out there? We have a hard time reading this sometimes because the idea that these people went in and killed everyone. They killed every living thing in the city of Jericho. And our hearts of compassion go, oh, but the kids and the animals. See, but here was the problem. Is that God was setting, up, setting apart for himself a holy people and a holy nation and a holy land. And what was a part of the Canaanites and the people of Jericho was, it was far. It was the furthest thing from the heart of the Lord. And God knew that if anything was left, alive, that the roots, the seed of the, the, the worship that consumed them would find a place in the nation of Israel, and it would produce a harvest of destruction. And so God's desire for Israel is, I want you to go in, and I want you to, to destroy the city and put everything to death and not rebuild the city. The only plunder that came out, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, he said, bring into the treasury, into the storehouse, because it belongs to the Lord. And all of these things, he says, it belongs to the Lord. It's his. He establishes even there the tithe. That the first fruit, the first city, the first place that the Israelites occupied in that land belonged to the Lord. It belonged wholly to the Lord. And he says, if you do choose to bring any of those things devoted to destruction, if you choose to bring them back into the camp, they will not only bring destruction upon you, they will bring destruction upon the entire camp. That your your actions, the consequences of your actions, let me get that out right, don't just affect you. They affect everyone. Because there's spiritual ramifications. And so God says, put to death, destroy, take out those things devoted for destruction. Don't let anything stand. See, it wasn't enough for them to just stand and shout and see the walls come down. They had to then go in and possess and displace those things that didn't honor the Lord. So let me go back to my my analogy. So if I pray over my home, God, would you... Would you bless my finances? Would you bring provision? But then in my heart, I determine that I will not tithe. God says, your prayer and your life don't line up, and I can't bless that. God, would you just restore my marriage, and would you minister to my wife and I? We want to be one flesh, and then I'm a jerk to my wife. 
God says your prayer and your action don't align, and I can't bless that. You are bringing destruction upon your own home. And you know what happens a lot is we blame God. God, I prayed that prayer, and you didn't answer my prayer. And God's going, I can't answer your prayer because you're walking in disobedience. You're inviting things of a destructive nature into your home. Lord, I just pray that my children will be raised to be godly and follow you and honor you. And then God says, well, let's evaluate your time and see how much time you actually spend with your children. Do you see? And it's, uh, it's uncomfortable to think. But it's the same thing that God is saying to Israel. I believe that if we get, are going to see our city one for the Lord, we have to start here. And we need to make sure that what we're shouting aligns with the way that we live our lives. That the things that belong to God belong to Him. And that we don't waver in those places. If you keep reading in the book of Joshua, the next city that they, they attacked was the, the city of Ai. And there's a guy named Achan. And God's requirements for that city and how they would destroy it were a little bit different from Jericho, but there were still some very clear requirements and 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 Achan disobeyed the Lord and it brought destruction upon his family and you can read about that encourage you to do that very clearly he says but you but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction what do we let into our homes and into our lives that are destructive. Things that are devoted, not by the Lord, but by the enemy, by the way. The enemy devotes things to destruction. He says, I'll use this, and I'll use this, and I'll use this. I'll use that foothold and that stronghold to get a chokehold, and I will wreak destruction and havoc in the home. We have to be a people who are aligned with God's word and with his heart I have three points I want to make this morning. First is this. You have to put God first. God has to come first. If we want to be better husbands, wives, moms, dads, parents, grandmas, grandpas, uncles, aunties, for those who aren't married. Maybe you're tuning out a little bit going, oh, you're talking about the home, you're talking about married people. No, 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 no community. We're a part of a family. You're a part of a family. You have a home. If you have a place where you lay your head that you call home, you have to make a decision. What do I allow into my home? And is God first in this place? Is God first? You have to put God first. In verse 7, he says that. Back up here. I'm sorry. Verse 17. And all the city, and that was in it, was, shall be devoted to the Lord. Devoted to who? The Lord. All of it shall be devoted. See, Jesus has to be the center of your home. He has to come first. He has to hold the preeminent place because there are other gods that are wanting to take that place. There are other things that are vying for that position, and, and it doesn't end up becoming that. It's not this. God's not an optional extra. I was sharing with our youth on Wednesday night. The only way is God's way. 
It's not like I lay out my options and go, okay, I can do it God's way, or I could do it my way, or I could do it the way that this person said. This all goes away, and it's God's way and God's way alone. And if we choose to not align ourselves there, then we will bring about a harvest of destruction. Because God will not be mocked. What a man reaps, I mean sows, he will reap. And so we cannot sow to the flesh and reap a harvest of righteousness. It has to be God first. Again, there will always be something competing. There will always be something. The God of the day, the God of their region, the God that has established itself in a foothold or in a stronghold will try and make its way. I get to travel. I've been on missions trips. It's different in different countries, in different cultures. But there's always something that's trying to set itself up against the true and living God and find its way into the home. And by the way, that's the one unique thing. It doesn't matter what culture you're in around the world. The home is under attack. It is the primary place that the enemy will come against the church. If he can divide husband, wife, mother, child, if he can bring division there, he's won the fight. See, we think, oh, we've got to be a church that's united. I believe that the key, the answer to being a united church, a reconciled church, is to be, have unified homes and reconciled homes. See, because it pours out of the home into this place. It's not like there's a magic bullet or a special pill that we can take here at church and go, okay, everything's better. It starts in the home. It starts in the home. And so Jesus has to be first. I've shared this before, something I learned in Bible college Professor shared that he's Lord of all or not at all. He's Lord of all or not at all. For the Israelites, God said, I'm your God and your only God, or you're going to be in a world of hurt. My word's not his. <laughs> you're going to be in a world of hurt. And you know what? If you keep reading this story, they didn't walk in obedience. And you know what? They walked in a world of hurt to the point that their kingdom was divided and then taken away from them because they didn't heed this warning. So first of all, put God first, always. Next thing is this, remove the destructive things. Remove the destructive things. Why would we live with things in our home that would harm us and hurt us and, and bring about destruction in our lives? Why would we do that? Yet we do it all the time. What we let in through our televisions and through the internet and through the radio. And listen, I am not a, hey, don't watch movies. I love movies. I love watching TV. I love just kicking back with my wife and, and putting our feet up and just relaxing. But I am becoming more and more aware that the little things that I let into my home will sow seeds of destruction in my home. And as a husband and as a father, as the priest of my home, I have to look and say, you know what? There are things in my home that will bring about destruction and they don't have a place here. And it's not enough just to identify them and go, man, I hope that doesn't hurt. I remember for a while, if you remember this, there was, there was a rash of things happening. There was, they were finding razor blades in, in playgrounds. 
You know what parents didn't do? Man, I hope when my kid goes to the playground that they don't step on a razor blade. Man, I just hope that it... No, it was like you're not going to the park until they've sifted every grain of sand and we know, and we know that there is nothing there, right? Yet there's things that we allow into our home that spiritually are bringing about destruction and we're okay with it. And not only that, sometimes we embrace it and partake in it. God says you have to remove the destructive things. You have to put them to death. You have to rid them. You have to cleanse your home. Again, not a legalistic message, but it's a biblical message. In fact, I shared this a while back. There's core things that are about what we believe as, as Christ followers that cannot and must not be compromised. I want to put this up on the screen here. A few months ago, I shared these three circles. The very center, we have biblical core. What does God's word say? Does what the things that I'm watching, listening to, allowing into my home, the people have access to my children and to my spouse, the things that I'm partaking in, do they line up with scripture? Do they pass the biblical core test? Do they stand in the light of God's word and pass the test? And if they don't, get rid of them. Purge it. Get it out. It's non-negotiable. Let me tag on here if you don't know God's word. If you don't know God's word, you're probably letting things into your home that don't line up with God's word. And ignorance is not an excuse. God says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's right here. Does it line up with biblical core? The next circle is personal convictions and traditions. This is the place where we as a church get kind of hung up sometimes. See, because maybe God spoke something to me that's not a biblical core, but it is something that God says in your life, I need you to walk in obedience in this part of your life. And what we'll do is we'll take that then and go, well, God's called me to this, so he's, he better, well, he told me this, so he, it must mean the same for you. And then we start looking at people going, well, you, I'm better than you because you still do that. No, it's not core, so it's okay. But can I tell you, if God's convicted you in a certain area, you better walk in obedience to it. If he's spoken that word to you, then you better walk in obedience. Traditions and convictions are not core. And you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but it's not a place where you then impose it on other people. It's about taking care of your home, taking care of your household, starting at home, right? It's the log in our eye rather than the splinter in our brother. Let's take care of our home. And then the last one is this, personal preference. And this is, this is another place where we get kind of messed up in, in, in our thinking and in our emotion. And we think, well, this is a preference, and, and I like it this way, and I'm, I'm, I'm in favor for or against this. And you, you know, if, you're, if you think differently, well, then I'm offended, all this stuff, and it gets funky. You know what it ends up doing is it creates a foothold. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I want to come back to the core. Does it pass the core test? I mean, as silly as this sounds, and I've, I've taken to doing this a little bit in my own life, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking in obedience in the silly things, right? God called the, the Israelites to march around the city. I'm like, okay, so, so 
if you need to do this, walk around with your Bible open and just kind of look at your house. Does it pass? Does it pass? Does it pass? Does it pass? And if it doesn't, get rid of it. Get rid of it today. Don't compromise. Don't give the, room, the enemy a foothold because he will take a foothold and make it a stronghold. I guarantee you. Maybe there's places you recognize in your home, even as I'm speaking, the, the enemy, I mean, rather, the enemy has established a, a stronghold and the Holy Spirit is going, that's a problem. If there's things in your home that you're going, that's destructive and I don't know how to get, out, get, get rid of it, talk to me. Ask for help. Love to come alongside and say, okay, let's, let's develop a plan. Let's see what we can do. Because the thing that the enemy fears is that we would actually work in cooperation with each other and with the Holy Spirit to rid our lives of the things that wreak destruction and havoc in our, in our homes. Get rid of the things. Remove the things. Destroy the things that are destructive. And then lastly is this. Take your stand. Take your stand. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says this. The end of the book. Joshua writing, speaking to the people of Israel. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Let me pause for a second. The therefore, he, he's just said something. What he did is he recounted the entire journey that they've been on all starting in Egypt up to that day and he said now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers uh, the, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, whom you, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Basically, Joshua is saying no matter where you go, there's going to be a God of that land that wants to be your God. But you need to choose whether it's the God of your fathers or whatever you just happen to find lying around. In our, in our culture, comfort, prestige, money, sexual satisfaction that we put in a place of God in our lives. Joshua would say, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, I always thought that Joshua said that when he was a young man. Like the young man going, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know the next thing that Joshua did? He died. He said those words and he died. And I was like, that just kind of is weird. <laughs> but what Joshua is saying is this. I have served my family and led my family in such a way that even though I am at the end of my life... I know that my children and their children and their children's children will serve the Lord because of the way that I've led my family. See, it's not about you. It's about generations. 
who will serve God because of the decisions you make today or who will reap a harvest of destruction because of the decisions you make today. People that you will never meet face to face before heaven. I want my legacy to be this. That my great, great, great grandchildren will say, you know what? We are a family who serves the Lord because Grandpa Barry, years ago, made a decision to stand for his family and serve God in righteousness. I want to, I want to be that guy. Joshua stood in confidence and said, as for me and my house, even when I'm gone, I know they're going to serve God because they've put him first. Take your stand. I love in, in our home, we'll have friends come over, and uh, our kids, especially when they were younger, friends would come over to visit, and, and I, was, I loved how Megan would do this. I learned this from her, and I watched her do this. She's a master with children, especially in this regard, because, you know, every child that comes over isn't an angel, right? Every, every, any parent, you're like, okay, I want to invite a friend over from school, and you're like, oh, okay, we might have to do some, some cleanup after, right? These words, in this house, in this house. And Megan would just look at kids and go, in this house, we stay at the dinner table till everyone's done. In this house, we don't hit. In this house, we don't shout in anger. In this house, we listen the first time. In this house, we eat our vegetables. <laughs> And here's the crazy thing. The most unruly, undisciplined, wild-eyed, wild-haired kids would come into our home and you would watch their countenance change. Parents would go, why are my children like little angels in your home? Because in this house, can I declare over us as a church family? In this house, Bitterness and strife have no home. In this house, we love. In this house, we reconcile. In this house, we serve each other, not ourselves. Let me ask you, in your house, what are the in this, houses that, in this house that needs to be established? See, because I can't do it with other people's kids coming into my home if I'm not doing it with my own kids and my own family and my own marriage and my own self. Barry, looking at Barry, going, Barry, in this house, we don't watch shows like that. In this house, we don't entertain gossip. In this house, we believe the best about people, not the worst. Ugh. But here's the thing. It can feel like a ton of bricks. But God says, I've given you authority and every weapon you need to do what? Trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome the power of the enemy. So I started out by saying, you have what you need to live that way. So take your stand. Take your stand. Husbands and wives, stop fighting with each other and start fighting for each other. Malachi says, when he speaks of marriage, why have I brought the two together? That they would raise godly offspring. 
Parents, raise your children in the ways of the Lord. And don't let the culture determine how you parent your kids. Well, you know, that's just how kids are. Baloney. Set safeguards and rules and parameters. And they might go, ah, I don't like you right now. You're just, you're taking away my freedom. And you're like, you're absolutely right. Because if freedom means destruction, I don't want you to walk in that freedom. Galatians, Paul says in Galatians, it's for freedom you've been set free. But don't walk, right, under a yoke of slavery. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. You see that God's word has a theme here? In closing, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, princip- against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand firm. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, single people. Those who've been divorced, those who are remarried, mixed marriages, mixed families, blended families, whatever it's called. Take your stand. It didn't matter anymore what was in the desert behind them. What mattered what was in front of them in the promised land. This day, today, take your stand. Let's stand together. Our worship team is going to come forward. We're going to continue to worship. Um, During the second song, our ushers will come forward to receive the offering. Our prayer team will be be available. We'll have prayer team members up here and as well in the back. Um, If you need to pray with someone, if God's stirring your heart right now and there's a call to action for you, go and agree with someone. Church, today is the day. Today is the day that everything changes. Not because Pastor Barry said so, but because the same God who delivered two million plus people into the promised land out of slavery, the same God is working on your behalf today. And he wants to bring about a harvest of life and righteousness and victory. Father God, I pray. Lord, I pray that these words, your word, Lord, would find a home in our heart, that it would find soil that is ready to receive and embrace that word, that seed, and that would cause, Lord, a sprouting to take place, that there would be growth and and health, the fruit of the Spirit evidenced. I pray, Lord, for boldness, that we would take our stand from the youngest to the oldest, no matter where we've been or what's happened in our lives, that we would take a stand today for you and for your kingdom. Help us to put you first. Help us to get rid of the destructive things. Help us to take our stand in Jesus' name.
Amen.